Dear Father, as we come before you today, we pray for your mighty power which raised your Son Jesus from the dead to so be at work in us that we will be able to understand what is right and true and godly before you and to know how to use our speech as reflective of a new person, a born-again person. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, uh, today we're going to look at, uh, especially the book of Proverbs, as we've been going through our series on uh, the topic today, on the power of speech. Now, there's a saying which goes, which I'm sure all of us have heard of, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me. Now, I wonder whether we really agree uh, with uh, that common saying, or which person actually came out of it, because uh, I'm not sure whether the Bible actually agrees with that sentiment at all, that sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me. Because especially when we are going through the book of Proverbs, it seems as if words can hurt. In fact, they can hurt more than just sticks and stones. So, uh, on the, in chapter 18, verse 2, it says, The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. So, I think uh, we won't go into the second part of this proverb, but I think that the, it's very clear that the tongue or speech or words have very great power over other people. And uh, even if you just follow the news over the last few weeks, you'll see of all the problems that people get into because they inappropriately or unwisely use their words or their tongue or their mouth. So obviously, the result of all these words and all these uh, things that were said, uh, people lose their jobs, people leave the country, people uh, get a bad reputation. And I think that as we look at God's word, the Bible here, this is actually our words, uh, actually more than just what we do to other people. It can actually condemn us in uh, the way uh, we actually speak. So uh, this is the first point I think that uh, the Bible makes, which I think is the most important point, which is what we say reflects who we are. Okay, what we say reflects who we are. And our speech reflects what is deep within us. So if... Uh, You've been following the whole series on the book of Proverbs. I'm sure you can't remember the first part of Proverbs that we did earlier on in the year. But remember we did Proverbs chapter 1 to 9. And we said that Proverbs chapter 1 to 9 really was an outline of how Proverbs or wisdom fits into the rest of Scripture. And in Proverbs chapter 8 and Proverbs chapter 9, there is a contrast between Lady Wisdom and Madam Folly. And uh, we looked at that uh, many, many months ago. But I'd like to draw your attention back to what was said there. So here, if you look on the slide, in Proverbs chapter 8, um, it talks about uh, how... Sorry, it actually was uh, Proverbs chapter 9, sorry, not Proverbs chapter 8. It was Proverbs chapter 9, I think. Oh, no, Proverbs chapter 8, sorry, Proverbs chapter 8. Which uh, we then read Proverbs chapter 9 today. But if you look at Proverbs chapter 8, verse 4, there is a contrast between what happens with what Lady Wisdom says and what Madam Folly says. So let's pay attention a lot to what... Lady Wisdom says, she says, to you, O men, I call out. Okay, and we will look at this word calling out later. I raise my voice to all mankind. You who are simple, gain prudence. You who are foolish, gain understanding. Listen, for I have worthy things to say. I open my lips to speak what is right. My mouth speaks what is true. For my lips detest wickedness. All the words of my mouth are just. None of them is crooked or perverse. To the discerning, all of them are right. They are faultless to those who have knowledge. So you notice here that Lady Wisdom actually speaks 
in a certain way, in a certain tone, in a certain manner. Okay? She speaks worthy things. She speaks what is right, what is true. And she does not speak wickedness. And she does not speak crookedness or perverseness. Now this word perverseness is something that we've talked about in the past, where perverse is actually the opposite of righteousness. It literally means upside down values. Right? It's the opposite of what is right and true and good. So Lady Wisdom speaks what is true and good, and she doesn't speak what is upside down, what is wrong. Now I want us to contrast and keep what Lady Wisdom says, how she speaks and what she speaks, to what, how Madam Foley speaks. Okay? So next slide. So um, Kai Wun just read to us from Proverbs chapter 9. And in verse 13, there is a call from uh, Madam Foley. Again, she is calling out in verse 15. But let's pay attention to how she speaks, how Madam Foley speaks, the way she speaks, the language of what she speaks, the content of her speech. The woman, Foley, is loud, or in some translations, she's boisterous. She is undisciplined and without knowledge. She sits at the door of her house on a seat at the highest point of the city, calling out to those who pass by, who go straight on their way. Let all who are simple come in here, she says to those who lack judgment. Stolen water is sweet, food eaten in secret is delicious. But little do they know that the dead are there, and that her guests are in the depths of the grave. See, notice how she speaks very differently from Lady Wisdom. What she speaks of, the tone of her language, the manner of her speech. She's loud, she's boisterous, uh, and she's not just loud in volume, but there's a confusion in the speech. She doesn't speak prudently. She's undisciplined, she's rash. Right, uh, as we will look in the book of Proverbs, rashness or speaking without thinking in an ill-disciplined way is a bad thing. She speaks without knowledge. She speaks out of foolishness. And she doesn't speak what is true or just or right, but she speaks perverseness. So in verse 17, she speaks perverse things. Stolen water is sweet. Food eaten in secret is delicious. So here, right from the beginning, as we look at uh, chapter 8 and 9, we see the paradigm or the, the model of how we should follow Lady Wisdom or follow Madam Foley. And it's very important because both of them are calling out. You notice, uh, as we look out here, she's calling out, and then the other one, Lady Wisdom, is calling out. And they're actually calling out from the mountaintops. And if you remember earlier on in the year, we said that actually in the ancient world, the places of worship were always at the top of the mountain. So when you look at Lady Wisdom, when you look at Madam Foley, they are actually a personification of whether you want to follow Yahweh or whether you want to follow idols. Right? They're calling out from the top of the mountain, who will you worship? Will you come and worship Yahweh, personified in Lady Wisdom, or you worship idols? Or the wrong way of living, personified by Madam Foley. And that's why in Proverbs chapter 1, right? Uh, as well as Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. So what's happening here is, you choose to either follow Madam Foley, or you choose to follow Lady Wisdom. And they're calling out from the separate uh, mountaintops. They are, they are diametrically opposite. But as you follow them, as you follow Yahweh, or as you follow idols, it will be reflected in the way that you speak. Because you will speak like Lady Wisdom speaks, in truth and justness and wisdom, in a 
in a considered way, or you speak like Madame Foley, very loudly, without thinking, rashly, without knowledge, foolishness and perverseness. So right at this very beginning, I think the application for us as we consider this is how do you speak? So just think for a moment, uh, over the last week, over the last month, what is your speaking like? Now I think that when we speak, we have two ways of speaking. There is the your Sunday best speaking, right? You know, you come to church, there are other Christians here, and uh, you don't speak in your normal way. You speak... Uh, in a, as a special occasion way. You speak in a way where um, you want to impress other people. You know other people are listening, so you don't speak uh, in your normal, everyday uh, language and your content. But there is the, the normal, everyday speak, speech or uh, talk that you, you have, isn't it? And that's when it reflects who we really are. So I want you to consider for a moment how you speak normally, not when you come on a Sunday, but, but you know when you are tired, when you're irritated, when you come home after a bad day, when you receive bad news, when you're frustrated about something, when you wake up in the morning, when you're driving to work, when you are in front of your TV, when you don't feel like talking and your kids want to talk to you, or you don't feel like talking and your wife wants to talk to you, how do you speak then? Because what your everyday talk Reveals is it reveals who you really are. Whether you follow Lady Wisdom, or whether you follow Yahweh, or do you follow Madame Folly and idols? So the New Testament re- uh, builds on this idea of what you say is who you are. Okay, so Jesus says these words in Matthew chapter twelve, and uh, I haven't put this up here. You'll need your Bibles. Uh, because I'm going to sort of go back and forth in Matthew to show us the, the context. So turn to me to Matthew chapter 12, verse 34 to 37. <clears throat> and uh, you'll notice all the similarities and parallels that it has to what uh, Proverbs chapter 8 and 9 have. Okay, so Jesus here says these words in verse 34. He says, um, You brood of vipers, How can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the goods that is stored in him. And an evil man brings out evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone will have to give an account of the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Now that's why it's so important what we say, because what we say is a reflection of who we are, whether we are the good tree or the bad tree. Now I want you to look for for a moment at verse 37, because this verse is often misunderstood. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Now, Jesus is not saying here that you are saved or justified by your words. So somehow our words are like good works which impress God and take us to heaven. But what he's saying here is that we, he, we know that we are saved only by following Jesus. We are saved only because Jesus died for us on the cross. We are saved because we are washed by his blood. But when we follow Jesus, there will be a radical change in our heart. There will be a radical change in our very being and our character. 
So our words will acquit us because if we speak in such a way that reflects this change of heart, then we will not be condemned. But if our words continue to show that we have not really accepted Jesus in our heart, that we are hard-hearted, that we are insincere and we're hypocritical to God, then we will be condemned because it reflects our true nature. So do you see why now words are so important? What we say, our speech is so important because it shows whether we've really accepted Jesus and been born again or not. And that's why in verse 36, he says, On the day of judgment, you will have to give an account for every careless word, or, or in my translation, the latest NIV, every empty word that they have spoken. Now, why is that? Because careless words or empty words are words which you speak in your everyday talk. It is not the words that you uh, speak when you come on stage, or when you're giving a speech, or your wedding ceremony, or when you give a eulogy, or when you give uh, <coughs> a talk uh, for reporters. It is the everyday empty or careless speech that we make which reveals our true attitude to God and to Jesus. So the context is really important because what occasion was there that caused Jesus to speak in such a way and say, look, watch your words and that you'll be judged for your words. Well, the context comes in verse 22, isn't it? Because the, the Pharisees had been, and the people were criticizing Jesus. And look what it says there in verse 22. So context will tell us what the careless words or empty words are. So in verse 22 it says, Then they brought Jesus, they brought him, a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him, so that he could, so he could both talk and see. All the people were astonished and said, Could this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, It is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. So you see, the words here of the Pharisees were the careless words. These were the words which revealed their inner attitude towards Jesus. Uh, because in the very next verse, Jesus says, Jesus knew their thoughts. So this is what was coming from deep within them. So in the same way, if we come to church on Sunday and we uh, speak the right things and say the right things, but when we go out and do our everyday speech and we speak words which are inconsistent with following Jesus, then what does it show about us? It shows that we are not really genuinely following Jesus. It shows that our inner character has not been born again. It shows that we have not been uh, actually sanctified and that uh, we are not allowing the Holy Spirit to be working in our hearts. So I want you to really think about your words. And what sort of words do your everyday speech consist of? Does it really reflect that you are following Jesus, following Yahweh, following wisdom? Or is your true master uh, the world, or, your, or the idols, or yourself? Now there are two types of speech, uh, if you look at the outline, that I particularly think that the Bible uh, speaks about in terms of telling us how dangerous it is to speak in this way, in this manner. Okay? Now, you might think that it is uh, lying or cursing. Or, um, those are all very bad. Okay? But uh, I think that the Bible says that two types of speaking are particularly bad. Not to say that lying or, or uh, uh, you know, cursing is bad. That's bad already. But, but, but there are two ways of other ways which I think which are really particularly dangerous. And one is boasting. Okay? Boasting. And I think how important for us to hear this because 
I think that uh, in the Christian world, we never hear that. Uh, I've never heard a sermon where people say boasting is really bad. I hear many Christians who boast a lot about a lot of things. So let's look at what uh, the book of Proverbs has to say about boasting. Okay? Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. Proverbs chapter 27 verse 1. Okay, Psalm 73 says something similar. Therefore pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil conceits of their minds know no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. In their arrogance they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven. And their tongues take possession of the earth. Now this last part is boasting, isn't it? They're claiming something. Uh, they're saying something is theirs, they're boasting about it. Alright? In uh, James chapter 4, next slide, it says, Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money, why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag. All such boasting is evil. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. Now, boasting uh, seems to have two main problems. It comes from an attitude which, I think, first of all, denies God's power and God's sovereignty. Because by boasting, you're actually saying that you have control over your life and you have control over the future. You have control over your own destiny. But the reality is God's word says that the very next breath that you take is out of your control. So, I mean, you spend the next moment, okay, you breathe. Do we have power and destiny to take that next breath? According to God, no. Our very breath is controlled by God. It is a gift of God. So, if God has such magnificent control over everything and His power is so great, then how can we boast about what we do or what we have, we've achieved or about the things that we have or the things that we think that we have? Because it's not within our power to control these things. It's not within our destiny to control these things. And Jesus was very strong against people who took this view that they have power and control over their own destiny. So, in uh, Luke chapter 12, uh, Luke chapter 12, I'm sorry I have to sort of speak through this part, but listen to this parable that Jesus gave. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink and be merry. But look at what God says. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? See, this man thought that he had control over his destiny, isn't it? He's planning for the future. He's got lots of good plans laid up to take life, uh, you know, easy. Maybe he had a plan to go to a world, world cruise or, I don't know, go to America, 
you know, go across country or travel around Europe, whatever. But does he really have control over his destiny? Does he really have power? Can he fulfill the plans that he has? No. Because, in verse 20, God has control over his life. You see this word here, uh, the word demanded. This very night your life will be demanded from you. It's a really interesting word because it is the word in its original language. This is where you lend someone something and you ask for it back. So I lend you my bicycle and I demand it back. I lend you my car, I demand it back. I lend you some money, I demand it back. So the implication is this man's life is not really his own. It is actually a loan from God. All this man has is his life. But his life is not really his own. It is because God has given him his life. And that very night God is asking for his life back. So there's no place for boasting. There's no place for boasting because we do not control things. And that's what all those passages show, isn't it? You do not know what's going to happen tomorrow. So how can you boast about what you're going to do, what you have done? Now the other thing... The other problem of boasting is, is the problem of the mindset of ownership. So if you look at this parable, in verse 18, I think one of the problems about this rich man, we're not told very much about this man, is that he keeps using the personal pronoun, I. I will do this. And I will do this and I will tear down my barns. And I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to myself, you notice all the I's there? I, me, mine, myself. Because his focus in life is all about himself. He thinks that he owns all these things. The whole focus of his life is is himself. And he's claiming things that he has no right to claim. Because all these things he does not own, but it's God who owns it. So I want you to come back to Psalm 73. Sorry, you can just go back. Uh, One more. You know that Psalm 73 is is a really um, harsh assessment of the boaster. Because the boaster, what is he doing? He is claiming heaven itself. You notice that? What is the boaster doing? In Psalm 73, their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. What an arrogant thing to do, isn't it? The boaster is basically saying that he's, he's claiming heaven for himself. He's claiming the earth for himself. And isn't that what we do when we boast? We boast about things. We are laying claim to things which actually don't belong to us, but they actually belong to God. So I want to ask you to consider for a moment, uh, I hope this is not, uh, well, I mean, it is, if it is an uncomfortable sermon for you, then it's probably good for you to hear it. But just think for a moment, are you the sort of person who boasts a lot? It's, it's nothing to be ashamed of, because a lot of Singaporeans, we, we like to boast, right? And uh, it's a very common trait among all cultures and societies that we want to boast. I know that some people, we, you know, sometimes as Asians, we, we boast in a negative way. No, no, my son is not very smart. Your son is smarter, right? But actually, deep down inside, we're saying, no, my son is very smart too, right? But, but, but are you a boaster? Are you someone who really likes to boast about what you've done and the things that you have, things that you've achieved? Well, that's a really dangerous thing to do, isn't it? Because out of your mouth, you're actually bringing condemnation to yourself. Because you're failing to recognize, you do not reflect in your heart that you really believe in a sovereign and powerful God and you do not believe that all things on earth belong to God. You think that it belongs to yourself. So don't boast anymore. So the second thing that uh, I think the Bible, especially in Proverbs, uh, really warns again is mocking. Okay, mocking. 
So in Proverbs chapter 21, on the next slide, it says, The proud and arrogant man, Mocha is his name. He behaves with overweening pride. A wise son heeds his father's instruction, but a mocker does not listen to rebuke. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. Now what is mocking? Okay, mocking is not a mocker is not what you get at Starbucks, alright? Mocking and mocker is something, an action which where you, you, you use your mouth to ridicule and make fun and put put things down, you know. I'm sure we've met people like that. We might be like that. We mock things. We make fun of things. We look down on things. Now, the Bible is very clear that we must be very, very careful when we mock people, especially when we mock the things of God or people who are doing the will of God. See, mocking reflects a heart, a worldview which is totally opposed to God. Because, as it shows there in Proverbs 21, it, it comes out of pride and arrogance. A mocking person is not usually a humble person. You, you, it's a misnomer, right? If you call someone a humble mocker, okay? It just doesn't work. Usually, a mocking person is, is proud and they're not listening to listen to God and they make fun of things. Now, over the history of uh, the church and even in my own experience, there is a danger where as Christians we mock things which we shouldn't mock. And uh, the world, I think the unbelieving world, mocks Christian things, isn't it? I remember reading the story of a famous missionary, I think it was William Carey, was it, or was it Hudson Taylor, who, when he wanted to uh, get his home church to uh, get him to get involved in ministry, to a missionary work, uh, one of the elders of the church said, if God wanted to save the heathen, he wouldn't need you to do it. Those are mocking words. I've been in church meetings where some people were proposing uh, a shelter uh, for women and, and girls at risk, and uh, someone else was mocking them and said, oh, this is a church meeting, not a, not a, a school meeting. Oh, we cannot keep talking about this until Jesus comes. You know, I remember being mocked before uh, by some relatives because I wanted to help uh, someone who had fallen off their motorbike. See, these are occasions where people mock, but you're mocking people for actually doing, wanting to do the right thing, you notice? I mean, is it wrong to help people who've fallen off their motorbike? Is it wrong to send missionaries overseas? Is it wrong to help children, uh, women and children at risk? These are all good things. But yet, these are Christian people who are mocking it. And that's very wrong, isn't it? Because it shows that your heart is not aligned to the things of God. I remember this Australian uh, pastor who I really respect. He's an old fellow now, and his name is Dudley Ford. And he used to say that a lot of our joking, when we joke, we have to be very careful because often when we joke, we joke in a mocking way. You notice that? You know, when you joke, you don't joke at your expense, you joke at other people's expense. So, that's the way the world jokes, isn't it? They will mock a person for being a goody two-shoes. I mean, nobody ever praises you. and say, oh, you're goody two-shoes. And you take it as a compliment, right? Or, or, or the world will mock you for being a virgin. Or the world will mock you for being a square or a loser. You know, or the world will mock you uh, for uh, being such a, you know, a, a Jesus 
a Jesus follower. So we must be very careful not to mock, especially when it comes to the things of God, when it, thinks, when it comes to the things of doing righteous things, and mock those people. Now, Mark chapter 15, it's very interesting because uh, when Jesus was on the cross, I think one of the worst things that uh, the people did was they mocked him, isn't it? The chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Christ, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe and those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. How terrible it must have been for Jesus that day that he was doing the right thing, he was giving up his life to save sinners and save the world, but yet people were mocking him. I wonder when we mock other people, whether we have the same heart as those Pharisees and teachers of the law that day. When we mock other people, aren't we putting ourselves in, those, in that same camp, in those shoes? So never be a boaster, but never be a, and never be a mocker. But rather, in, like, in point three in the outline, we must always use our words to benefit other people. So in Ephesians chapter 4, uh, next slide, it says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Now the word unwholesome here covers a whole broad range of things. It literally means Things which are, if you look at the linguistic uh, breakdown, it's, it's, it's something that's foul or putrid or rotten or worthless or disgusting. It's like garbage, okay? Unwholesome is like garbage. Do not have garbage talk come out, of your mouth, come out of your mouth, okay? So that covers a whole range of things. Don't let garbage talk come out of your mouth. But rather, only what is helpful in building up others according to their needs and they benefit those who listen. Now in Proverbs it says the very same thing. Okay, next slide. The lips of the righteous nourish many, but fools die for lack of judgment. Chapter 16. Pleasant words are a honeycomb sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Now it's very interesting because it says here that the words that you use actually impact the very soul of the people. You know, uh, within the book Proverbs, when it talks about bones, it means the very core of your being. That means that words are like better than medicine. It can actually heal you. It can actually restore you. Okay? You don't need to be a doctor to be able to heal people. You can use the right words. So I wonder for ourselves, how do we use our words and our speech? Do we use it to let unwholesome, you know, garbage talk out of our mouth? Or do we use it to build up others and benefit others who listen, especially those within the church. Now, I've always uh, been struck by what I read in uh, one of my uh, books on Bible study leading, and it said that actually the church and the Bible study, what we have as, a, as, a, as an assembly of God, what we learn in the church camp, is that we must have a safe zone, all right, a safe zone. So um, they use a, okay, I, I photocopied it, I, mean, I printed it, I scanned it, so you see this bubble, I, I, my, 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 uh, Andre Wong has the, has the, has the pointer. So, uh, for those who are at the church camp, they'll know they borrowed my pointer, so I don't have it back, but it's up here. Anyway, so, the bubble, the bubble reflects the, the, 
the safe zone of the church. Uh, what it means is that when we come together, it is a zone where there is trust and transparency, where people are willing to share about themselves. So, when we come together as a Bible study, as a cell group, as a church, when we share things, what words and speech other people will use will determine how big or small that bubble is. So let's say I'll give you an example. This is a real example. Okay, so let's say uh, somebody comes and shares in the Bible study or church or cell group, I am struggling with homosexuality. Okay, imagine someone says that I'm struggling with same-sex attraction to someone. Now, if then people let unwholesome talk come out of their mouth, and one person mocks that person. One person makes a joke about homosexuality. The other, another person says, Oh, you are going to hell. And another person gossips to the rest of the church about what happened. Or puts on his Facebook, Hey, you know, this person shared that they struggle with homosexuality. Then what happens to the, the bubble of trust and transparency within that bubble study or that church or that cell group? It starts shrinking, isn't it? And that's what happens, you see, the, on this side, the bubble keeps getting dented. They call it a dented bubble. And over time, people, not just the person who shared about his homosexual, or her homosexual struggle, other people will not share as well because there is no trust among that group because you don't trust the other people to, to do the right thing, to say the right thing. But if you do the opposite, and uh, take the same example, and someone says, oh, I struggle with homosexuality, and other members of the group then come together and try to build up this person and encourage this person and show love and care and say what is beneficial and helpful to this person. Then what happens? The bubble of safety and trust within that group grows, right? So you can see on the top left-hand corner, the bubble grows because then as, as the person shares about this thing, other people will be willing to share and talk because of the beneficial and helpful words that other people give. So I want to ask you this challenge, ask you this uh, question, challenge you. Um, how do you use your words? Do you have unwholesome talk coming out of your mouth which damages and hurts other people? Gossip, hurtful words, um, mocking, joking, coarse joking. Right, so, or, or do you have wholesome, beneficial words that come out? Uh, even if you have to tell someone, you know, homosexuality is the wrong thing to do. There are ways of doing it. There's the right words and the right manner of doing it. Now, what is your contribution to the group life of your Bible study or your cell group or your church? Are you, are you the sort of person who is building up the bubble of trust and accountability and, 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 and transparency in your group? Or are you the one who's denting the bubble so it's getting smaller and smaller? Because that's the difference between a healthy church and a sick church, a vibrant church and a weak church, a living church and a dying church. And where did it come down to? How you use your words. Right? How you use your speech. Now, part of doing that is, I think the Bible says that we must keep speaking as it reflects uh, our faith. So it's like God talk. Uh, one word that some people use is God talk. And it comes full circle to what Jesus said in the beginning and what we read in Proverbs chapter 8 and 9. If you believe in Jesus, if you read God's word, then your speech will be peppered 
not with a, like the Bible just sprouting out, but it will be reflecting your worldview within you, isn't it? So, uh, it's very interesting when you look at these passages, Deuteronomy chapter 6, right? Uh, next slide. Oh, that's very good. Hear, Israel, the word of our God, the, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments I, that I give you today are to be upon your heart. Press them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and your gates. Now, verse 7 is quite interesting. It basically says that you talk about um, the commandments what I mean to the Jews, they talked about, they were supposed to talk about the commandments when they were at home and when they were on the road. That means there is no distinction whether they're inside or outside, and there's no distinction whether they're sleeping or awake. But God's word was to so immerse their lives and so fill their lives that it would determine how they would speak to one another. In Colossians chapter 4, next slide, it says, Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders, make the most of every opportunity, let your conversation be always Right, always, not sometimes, or when you're only speaking to outsiders, but always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Now, the conversation was to be full of grace, which is very different from what Madame Folly spoke. She was loud, boisterous, ill-disciplined. But here, our conversation is to be full of grace, gracious speech, seasoned with salt. Salt was a could be many things, but many commentators feel it's like a preservative. We're supposed to redeem the world. We're supposed to save the world from corruption. And here our speech is to save the world from corruption, is to, is to be flavorsome and appetizing. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, it says, Then you will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming, instead speaking the truth and love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. So the truth here is actually con- contrasted with every wind of teaching, cunning and craftiness of men and deceit. You notice that? So when we speak the truth, it is different from the teaching of the world, every wind of teaching. We speak the truth, the gospel truth, the biblical truth. So that means that when we talk, uh, it's not like we have to quote the Bible in every sentence, or we have to give systematic theology in every conversation we have, but it must reflect the reality of God and the presence of God and God's Word in our life when we speak. So do we do that? Uh, now, when you, uh, apparently I was reading this uh, newspaper article, uh, on average, uh, all of us will spend about three hours uh, either on the internet, uh, TV, listening to music. And most of the stuff that we listen to will all be world-based, right? Secular world-based. And the message of the world is, you know, sex is fun. You are the most important person in the world. You own things. You can plan your future. Getting ahead is the most important thing. Fine, right? So, but does your talking sound different from the world? Right? Is your talking different from what you hear on the internet, watch on television, listen to music? Because that's what this passage is saying. If, if you are living and breathing uh, your, your reality of your walk with Jesus Christ, 
If your conversation is full of grace, season, and salt, if you're speaking the truth in love, then your speech must be different from what people are saying on the radio, on television, and on the internet. So what do I mean? Well, when you watch a movie with, uh, with friends, and uh, after the movie you talk about it, do you talk about how good or bad it is because of uh, you know, all the action sequences and uh, the violence? Or do you see it in terms of how God would see it? When something good or bad happens to you, do you curse your bad luck? Or do you just say, well, you know, God controls everything and uh, thanks be to God because God let that happen to me. When uh, things don't go your way, do you say that, well, life is going really badly because, uh, you know, the whole aim of life really from the world's point of view is having fun, right? But if you don't have fun, then life is really bad. Uh, do you give thanks to God even for the bad things that happen for it to you? Or are you like the rest of the world and curses God when bad things happen to you? Do you talk about doing the right things for the sake of doing the right thing? Or do you talk about only doing the right thing because you can get something good at the end of it? See, so when we speak, our speech, like I said in the beginning, must reflect who we really are. It must reflect that we are reformed and redeemed in our thinking and our hearts. So how do you use your words? How do you use your mouth? How do you use your speech? Does it reflect that you are the good tree, that you are really changed, that you have a radical change of heart because you now follow Jesus? In conclusion, um, I started thinking, okay, what illustration can I give? Okay, I'll give them the worst thing I ever said in my life. So I was thinking, okay, what is the worst thing I ever said in my life? And uh, I remember before I became a Christian, uh, I was in boarding school in Australia. And uh, in boarding school, you're supposed to have laundry duty. And you're supposed to, uh, everybody puts all their laundry in the baskets and you're supposed to like, each person is supposed to be assigned to take this laundry and put it somewhere so that the, the laundry people will come and collect it, right? So my friend and I, we were in the same room. We were, through some misunderstanding, uh, I thought he was going to do it. He thought I was going to do it because, you know, we sort of share it over the five days. We were assigned by week. And uh, I remember his name being uh, Yu Bing. He was from Malaysia. And if he's listening to this sermon, I'm sorry. Right. But uh, we had this big argument. And I remember saying something along the lines of, um, I don't care what you think, and I don't care about you, and I don't care what happens to you at all. I just, I just care about what happens to me. Because we were going to get in trouble because we didn't collect the laundry, right? So needless to say, he wasn't my friend after that, right? But, uh, but you can see, you see, these are, these are words of Madame Foley, isn't it? Uh, these are words which reflected uh, Loud speech, ill-disciplined, boisterous speech, words without knowledge, without wisdom. And uh, they reflected who I was at the time, isn't it? A loud, boisterous, ill-disciplined person uh, without knowledge. But if you were to put my, myself in that position again, maybe we should have laundry duty at church. Uh, hopefully, I can't see myself saying those words again. Because I don't think that reflects who I am today, isn't it? And I think that for ourselves, we, we have to see it that way, isn't it? What do your words, what does your language, what does your speech say about you? Who you are? When God looks at you and hears what you say, does it reflect uh, the person who is truly saved in Jesus Christ?
So as a church, let's really consider who we are and make sure that who we are is reflected in the way that we speak. Let's go to God pray. Dear Father, as we come before you today, help us to see the power of our words that has the power of life and death. That we can use our words to wound and to hurt and to destroy others. But at the same time, we can use our words to build up and to love and to care for others. We pray that, as we've learned today, our words will reflect a radical, changed life. A life which is given over to Jesus as our Lord and Saviour that our words will be healing, that our words will be for care, our words will be sweetness to people's soul and their bones. We pray, dear Father, that we will not have unwholesome, rotten and garbage talk come out of our mouth. And we pray most of all, dear Father, that our words will reflect that we are saved and that we will be acquitted by our words and not condemned. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.